Modern Mamas podcast. I'm Jess, a level one CrossFit trainer and a licensed and certified athletic trainer. I have my master's in kinesiology and I'm currently studying to be a certified nutrition consultant and birth fit coach. I'm the blogger behind Paleo-ish and the soon-to-be-launched Hold the Space Wellness, as well as a mama to two small kiddos. I'm here with Laura, a certified CrossFit trainer, a certified nutrition consultant, and BirthFit Santa Cruz regional director. She's also a soon-to-be mama. She is the woman behind Radical Roots, where you can find recipes, insights, and nutrition consulting. We're here to provide a safe place for open dialogue, insights, and anecdotes about empowered pregnancy, labor, delivery, parenthood, and everything in between with zero judgment and open hearts and minds. Please note that while we're here to provide advice and insights, we aren't medical practitioners and always recommend that you check with a trusted provider before implementing any changes. Hello, everybody. Welcome to, and actually, I'm not really sure what episode number this will be, but welcome to our first guest episode um, of the Modern Mamas podcast. Today we have Megan Blacksmith of Zesty Ginger, and she you might know her as Ginger Nutrition on Instagram, who has been dropping knowledge bombs about women's health and hormone and gut health for a couple years now. Um, before we dive into the meat of the episode, I want to give everyone a little a few quick updates. Um, I will be leading this interview today. Laura's actually out. She just welcomed her baby girl into the world, and we are first forcing her to take some much-needed time away, um, as I'm sure Megan will dive into why that's important as we get into the episode. Um, but if you get a chance and you're on Instagram, just send her a, um, a quick message and, you know, congratulate her, tell her how excited you are for her, um, and I'm sure she would love to, to hear from you guys. But anyways, back to what we're here for. So Megan is... Probably one of the most. See, our podcast isn't explicit, so I have a hard time. I have to hold my tongue back. She's probably one of the most bad A uh, practitioners, <laughs> um, holistic health people that I follow, mostly because um, she just is so full of knowledge. Her and her partner, Alex um, Golden, who is an MD, have really impacted a lot of women through their programs and that they offer. And we'll kind of talk a little bit more about that too, as we get in. But Megan is a certified functional diagnostic nutritionist, nutrition practitioner. She's also a certified holistic health coach. She is the co-founder of ZestyGinger.com where she and her partner, Alex, who I mentioned, um, who's a medical doctor, work with women in one-on-one and groups uh, program settings, such as seasonal detoxes and the healthy hormone group program, which you've probably seen or heard of um, if you follow her. They have created a space for women to discover underlying imbalances leading to their health concerns. And they also really focus on digging into topics such as hormones, detoxification, nutrient deficiency, and gut health, which is all super important. Besides being just a general um, genius, she also likes to consider herself a health detective. And functional lab work is, is super important for her and the key component in her detective kit. Instead of chasing symptoms, she likes to search for the root cause, which is amazing to me because I'm all about that. Her own struggle with low energy, recurring infections, adrenal dysfunction, and heavy metals, all while trying to balance family life with a corporate job, that's crazy, Um, opened her eyes to a journey that does not require willpower and deprivation. She was able to restore her adrenal function naturally, 
and now has the energy to do what she's really, really passionate about. She has two wonderful little girls, which we get to see on your Insta stories from time to time, time to time. Lily, who is six, and Paige, who is one. They keep her busy, but they're her greatest motivation to create a healthier world. And I so, I mean, that's what our podcast is all about. So I totally feel you on that. I mean, main motivation as mamas is just to leave the world a better place through our children, right? Um, and so, like I said, I've been following Ginger Nutrition for a few years now on Instagram. Um, I think the, the first thing that kind of blew up was your um, adrenal cocktail. Do you, so was that a recipe that you came up with or how, how did that happen? No, it's funny about that. So it wasn't my recipe at all, which is why it was interesting that it got <laughs> shared as mine many times, but it really right. wasn't my recipe. Um, I worked with Chris Arecchio at The Whole Journey for my personal health back, as we'll talk about in the beginning of my story with baby number one. And um, this was, it's uh, it's an alteration of the original adrenal cocktail recipe that has been circulating for a long time, but this is something I learned from her and it just, people loved it and they just kept reposting it and tagging me. So I became known for the adrenal cocktail, which really wasn't mine. Yeah, I did. I think once I, so I came up with an ice cream recipe that was like based off of your, well, I guess Christina, right? Yeah, yeah, her um, original recipe, which is probably my most popular recipe. I don't know why people love that. I mean, maybe it's like the the creamsicle, like childhood. Yeah, and it's supposed to be good for you. And you're like, I get to have a creamsicle and it supports my adrenals. Yeah, like bonus. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Um, So like I said, been following you for a while now. Super, super excited about the topics we're going to cover today. and like I said, just you have a lot of like ebooks and, and free information on your website with the toxic home makeover stuff. Um, and once we, we started the podcast, I knew we had to get you on because you kind of speak to exactly our audience. Because me personally, and I know a lot of mamas have contacted us since we started about just their own struggles with hormonal and gut health and, and you know, feeling tired and run down and, you know, I, th- I think a lot of that people think, well, you know, I had a baby, I'm a mom, I'm busy, like, I sh- it's just normal. It's normal for me to feel this way. I know I felt that way. Um, so I'm really, really excited about the information that you're going to share and maybe tell us that that's not normal, right? Yes. Yes, <laughs> okay. I will. I can promise that. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So the topic of discussion today, like, like we kind of mentioned before, if you've been following us on following along with us on Insta stories and and at Instagram. But we're going to be talking today about Megan's personal experiences. Um, First with her first pregnancy, kind of really before she had any sort of knowledge about how to support yourself with through hormone and gut health. And then we're going to actually talk about her second pregnancy after she... um, I guess became educated a lot more about that. So I'm not, I'm not going to ask you any more questions because I feel like you're going to answer everything that I could possibly ask right now. Um, but And then we have a few listener questions that we definitely want to get to before the podcast is over because they're really, really good. Um, but before we jump in, okay, fun icebreaker question, okay? So... I, I seriously ask this of everyone that I come across because it helps me kind of gauge, like, are you my kind of person? No, no, no uh, pressure or anything. But if you could eat one thing for the rest of your life, doesn't have to be healthy, what would it be? 
Okay, so I was thinking about this question ahead of time, and I don't know if this is cheating. I don't know if you mean <laughs> one f- actual food, but my the first thing that came to my head was fish tacos. And then I realized that you might mean one food. And then I said, well, if it had to be just one actual food, I'd say avocado. Avocado. (laughs) I like it. No, it could be fish tacos for sure. That is Okay. I didn't know if that was cheating. And as you'll see, and as we'll talk about a little bit later um, with our women trying to balance hormones and this, everything, you know, that goes into that second pregnancy and why it was so much more amazing, we aim for fat, carb, protein at every single meal and every single snack and every single time someone eats for our ladies. So I couldn't just pick one thing that didn't, but my fish tacos do have all of those things worked into it. That's awesome. That is good to know. I love me some good fish tacos. And so you get the stamp of approval from me at least. Not that that (laughs) means anything at all. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. So Really quick, before we kind of dive in, kind of give us just a little bit more background on your education, um, and it'll probably just lead right into your story, so feel free to kind of just take it from here, and I'll ask you if any kind of questions come up, I'll, if you don't mind, I'll interject, but I'll kind of let you just take over at this point, but tell us about how you got here, um, you know, like I said, education, all of that good stuff. Absolutely. And thank you for having me. This is very exciting and one of my favorite topics, of course. So I was went to college for mechanical engineering, and I did that for the first 10 years out of college. And love the – I'm a numbers girl, and I love the data, and I love that side of things, which is where, for me, the functional lab work really comes into play because I don't just like guessing. And – At the same time, I was in this field that I did love, and that's where there's a huge difference between my first child and my second child. Because when I I was pregnant with my first child, I was still in the corporate setting as a mechanical engineer, um, and... I, everything about that birth was also, you know, in a hospital, so we can get into the details, but it just is very interesting how, like, my life was in one box at that point and completely changed later. I was, I was very unaware from, of holistic practices of food, really, and how it affected me. Just some basic things, of course, that I think we all pick up along the way, but this was not um, anything I knew all that well. And it just, I could tell, like something wasn't right. Something wasn't aligning. Something just, I knew there was something more that I could do and needed to do. And when I had my first child, Lily, who's now six, or six and a half, she'll tell you. Um, (laughs) uh, After I had her, I, maybe nine months later, I was just still so insanely fatigued and I really just couldn't handle being a mom, going into my job every day and doing what I was supposed to be doing. And I was looking around thinking, hmm, is this normal? Because, you know, she's nine months now and then now then she was a year. And at a year, I started having uh, anxiety attacks, full on panic attacks. I remember like lying in her little mattress next to her just in total panic mode and being like, how am I going to help my child when I'm a disaster? <laughs> and things just started to kind of snowball and I had never had any any of these things. So this was new. It wasn't as if, you know, the anxiety came back from before. It was totally a new thing. And I was, um, it 
just it 100% freaked me out. I was like, what in the world is happening? Yeah. And at that point, I started to really dig in. So it, it, um, not that the birth, you know, the actual birth made a huge difference, but it was, um, it didn't go as planned. It was in a hospital. It did one intervention quickly led to another, you know, I wanted to do natural as much as possible, but, um, once I got an epidural, just hundred percent stopped labor. So then, um, and then I ended up with, you know, so then some Pitocin and it, and it, I luckily ended up, you know, I did have her, I didn't end up needing a C-section, but I was really close to it because the epidural completely stopped labor. And it was also kind of a mis, um, miscommunication because nobody had ever checked how dilated I was. So all along when I'm like, if they, they kept telling me you're in really early labor. And I said, if this is early labor, like give me all the drugs you have because <laughs> I, I don't have care what my here, birth plan was. Yeah. I have been here forever. Like, and, um, you know, so it actually wasn't really early labor. And the doctor said, oh, you could have pushed. And that's why you were so uncomfortable. Oh but, you know, so it didn't all go as planned, but nothing horrible, you know, nothing crazy that, um, that I ended up in this kind of what I call I fell off the adrenal hormonal cliff. Right. Um, can really, I, for me, it was just having a baby. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I feel like I hear this a lot. So your experience kind of mirrors my own a little bit in the fact that I went in with a lot of expectations, I guess. Like, I'm going to do this natural birth. Like, it's going to be great. I've prepared. I've stayed fit. Like, I was running and doing all this stuff. And I thought, you know, I've done everything right. My birth is going to go right. It's going to be exactly what I planned. And so it didn't. And then I feel like part of, because I had the same thing that you did, that kind of postpartum anxiety that just came out of nowhere. And I feel, and correct me if I'm wrong, like partially just a mental aspect of it. And you're probably going to dive into more of the hormone stuff. But like, I felt guilty. Like I felt like, and I felt that I wasn't good enough because I didn't, deliver on the expectations that I set for myself and I told everyone like this is what I'm doing it's going to be awesome and I like you I was able to deliver vaginally but it was really hard really 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 hard Um, and then followed by like a NICU stay for my son afterwards um, and just breastfeeding didn't go well initially and so I don't know I don't know if you have any thoughts on that just the expectations you set for yourself and then not meeting those as a woman, I feel like that plays into it a lot. I think that's probably the, one of the biggest factors is that, that especially, you know, it's the first time going into this, you have no idea what to expect. You've read the books, you're like, nope, I've done everything I'm supposed to do, and it should line up the way I want it mm-hmm. to. Um, and of course, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there was plenty of things you, you know, I could have been more prepared, but there's always just things that your body's going to do that you really just don't know. And that, that guilt, the mom guilt is just huge. I think most moms then, um, with a second or third child, they're a little bit more over that. And they realize like, I just want my child here healthy. However it happens, I will do the best thing I can to make it go the way I want to. But, um, yeah, it, it, 
definitely plays into, I mean, at the same time, they're all your hormones are dropping off, like your hormones during pregnancy are sky high. And that that can have you feeling on some aspects amazing. I know there's some physical things that maybe aren't as amazing. But and then you have this child and it's like going through um, menopause, but all in a couple days, like the levels just drastically drop off. And you're left in this place where Hormones have quickly changed, and that's something you had no control over. It's continually a control thing because you have this small person that you have no idea what to do with and, again, have completely no control over. (laughs) And it just feels like you're kind of spinning, I think, a little bit. Oh, totally. You can't see us, but I'm just, like, nodding along the whole time. Um, (laughs) But at what point, to speak to that, because I know I felt that same way, even with my second, which was a completely different experience on a po- in a positive way. What day do you sort of see that drop? Because I remember probably when my milk started coming in, like day three or four, I started being super emotional. Like the first couple of days, I was like, this is great. Like, I feel good. I'm happy. And then it was like, whoa, a very big, significant tank. Uh, what yes. day do you typically see that when the, the that's hormones? Exact, that's exactly when it is. It's that day three or four. And I do remember the second time around when I had midwives them saying, just warning you, you might be crying for no reason, like kind of prepping me for this situation, which was very different from my first experience. Nobody was prepping me mm-hmm. for this situation. Nobody was letting me know that there might be some crazy stuff going on in my head. Or for me, um, along with the anxiety, it was just really uh, irrational fears. I had crazy fears about, mostly about um, my child or my child being stolen or some, some form of hurt. Yes. <laughs> but they were, I knew they were irrational. I mean, they were like so crazy that it wasn't like I was thinking this could really happen, but I just couldn't stop them. I would literally be like, stop thinking that, stop thinking that, that's not real. Um, and so that kind of thing, I think, you know, very common. It's gonna, It can and probably will happen to a lot of people, but to have that still happening a year out or 18 months out or, or even six months out, I mean, I think it's important to notice that there are going to be things that happen, but there is also a normal that you should get back to in a reasonable amount of time. And if you're not, then there are things you can do. So it is not this, I have a child, I will be extremely fatigued um, forever. So I remember maybe about when she was about a year or year to 18 months where I would get up in the morning and I, I wanted badly to take a medical leave of absence from my job, but I had no specific physical there was nothing wrong per se like go to the doctor there's nothing wrong on my laptop everything's great so everyone's looking at me like you're fine we don't really see what the problem is but I would just lie there like what could I do I'm like well I could like break an arm because you know (laughs) what could I like temporarily get out of life not not like a major injury but something significant enough to like get you out of it Something where people would recognize, like, oh, she needs some time, but <laughs> not enough like it would really take me out of the game. And I'm like, that, you know, that thought process alone, the fact that that was happening was, um, you know, there was some, ser- some serious imbalances for sure. Luckily, I 
I, I know it sounds so cliche, but like, I am so grateful that that happened when it did. I mean, I guess it would have been nice if it happened a few years earlier, but I'm grateful it at least happened when it did because that whole situation just threw me into the holistic world and I started to completely explore how food affects the body, like how my blood sugar regulation affects my mood, how what I put into me and what I put on my skin and just how everything is either supporting me or slowly kind of stealing your resources, like stealing and your the child, the baby growing inside you, they will take everything they need and they will like, they'll be fine most likely, but you might be left with nothing right. <laughs> if you were depleted to begin with. Yeah. So, um, and from there it just is what threw me into this world of holistic health and nutrition and from a very, um, from a mindset point as well. And from looking at things from every side, not just food and supplements to fix things. We love functional lab work, but we also, you know, that's something we use to get people to make bigger changes in their life. Because for me, it required changing my career, quitting my job, moving, um, it required really big changes and your body giving you symptoms and signs over and over again, that's your body telling you something's not right and something needs to change. So just masking that with even supplements or of course there's, there's more intense ways to mask things, but even just masking things like that with supplements, you know, because that is one thing that people like to dig into because it's something you can get your hands on and you can kind of test and do that. But um, even that can be not looking at the full picture because if you have really deep down what you're doing in life does not align with what you want to be doing or how you feel or the people around you, then um, it's really hard to ever get out of this deep adrenal dysfunction that, that I was into. So, so it, it really makes you look at every aspect of your life, which is what we do in our programs with our women. And, you know, it's, it's what makes moves the needle the biggest, basically. Right. That's incredible. So I want to back up for a second. So when you went into your first pregnancy, and I think we had a little bit of similarities. I think I've heard a little bit about your story, but you would have considered yourself pretty fit, correct? Like, quote unquote, healthy. Um, I think you were a runner, right? Yes. Okay. I was I ran my I was ran a marathon not too long before I got pregnant. Ran all through pregnancy. I have pictures of me doing a half marathon, completely miserable. <laughs> but you're healthy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was working with a nutritionist, but it was in it. But it was, um, you know, I had never gone to consider things like food sensitivities. I had no idea still at this point that gluten and I were just. 100% not friends. Yeah. Um, so that I hadn't dug into that level of it, but I was very much in that. I didn't eat McDonald's, you know, I wasn't in the complete standard American diet, but I wasn't exactly using like super nutrient dense foods either. Right. I was just running hard. And I think at that point, you know, still just kind of like looking at calories or looking at right. what's on the plate that way. So, and then this might be a little personal, but with that, did you have trouble conceiving or was did you find that it was fairly easy for you guys to conceive? Oh, for us, it was um, extremely easy. Yeah. And there's some definitely some genetic factors right. there on both sides. But right. um, 
um, for us, luckily, that part um, was not an issue because it, for a lot of the things that I did have going on that I now know, you know, I had severe gut dysfunction that I had no clue was there. And I have issues with heavy metals, which I also had no clue that was there. So I do feel very grateful, lucky that um, I was able to because a lot of people I work with with the exact same issues that I had can cannot get pregnant with those with those stressors. Right. And I think we have a listener question towards the end that we'll kind of talk about how you can kind of set yourself up even before getting pregnant to be as healthy as possible and to make conception and fertility better. So we'll touch on that later. But sorry, I interrupt. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> no, and that's good because that basically leads into what happened with my second pregnancy and um my children are five years apart. So I'd had, I'd had four solid years of really figuring out, um, you know, doing an elimination diet and figuring out what my food sensitivities were and really working on minimizing toxins in the house. And I had this adrenal health toolkit. So I knew like what was going to happen and I had everything prepared um, to counteract that. And I had also a good sense of what stress can do and what stress can do to your physically and your body. Cause when one of the biggest things, when we run, we use the Dutch hormone panel for women. So the dried urine test to look at hormones and we will see, you know, people usually know that they stress out too much. They don't sleep enough. They don't drink enough water. Like they usually know this, but when you see on paper that you have no estrogen or your cortisol's through the roof, your stress hormone or whatever, it, it just, opens your eyes to how these things are actually affecting you um, at a deeper level because our bodies are amazingly, they like to keep symptoms at bay and we can have, we can have lost like 30 to 40% of full function and still have no symptoms. But once you get into symptom land, that's kind of when we're willing to do something about it. But often we're just barely getting out of that symptom area. We're not getting back to full function. So we're still operating at the 70% level and maybe 60% is where we hit symptoms. But we want people to get get back as much close back as they can to 100% so that when something happens, like you have a baby, you get pregnant, you move to a new house, you get a new job, you have a death in the family, these things are going to happen. Life and stressors are going to happen. You want to just have that buffer so that then, okay, you lose 20% function because there's a lot of stress. Um, but it doesn't land you in symptom land because you're you have enough to work with. And and it can take, it takes, and that's why so many of us can do things all through our 20s, just literally abuse the heck out of ourselves over and over and over. And, and it does not seem on the surface to affect you. Right. That's so funny that you mentioned all those stressors. So, and we, I haven't yet talked about my birth experiences on the podcast, but I'm sure we will dive into it. My first one, so kind of touched on that in the beginning, I'm pretty sure I had postpartum depression to some extent. It wasn't diagnosed, um, probably for all the factors that you're, you're talking about. But my second one, we, so going into it, very similar to what you're saying, a lot more, um, less expectations. I really focus on de-stressing, but we had the baby, we moved, I started a new job all <laughs> in like the first three months of her life. And I can say, honestly, I feel great. 
um, mentally at least, you know, I know there are some physical things that I, I can work on, but just to speak to what you're saying exactly, it's exactly true. I mean, going through all that stuff and knowing that I've done some things to support my just overall health going into that has made a world of difference, which I'm sure you're going to yes. talk about on your second, you know, if, talking about your second experience too, but well, just which, wanted to say that's totally accurate. And I, I love that you share that because I think sometimes when there are no specific symptoms, it's hard to want to dig into this work. We've had women do our healthy hormones program. Usually people who join, they have very specific things like they do not have a period anymore. They have extreme PMS. They have anxiety, depression, like acne, very specific things they're trying to get rid of. And occasionally we'll have women because maybe they've heard my story and they're like, I just want to get pregnant in the next two years, one year, whatever. And they want to just give themselves the best shot at a healthy pregnancy, feeling good after a healthy child, etc. And it's really, really fun to see that because they don't usually have to change all that much. There's usually just some small tweaks that can be made, some small lifestyle things, and then they go into this experience with a toolkit. They know, okay, things are gonna change, hormones are gonna change, but I have all these things, all these tools to try, whether it's elixirs or foods or stress management techniques, whatever it is, but they have all these things to go back to. And for me, that's basically how I felt going into the second birth um, and pregnancy was just that I knew things were going to change drastically because they had for the first, but I also knew that I was prepared as much as I could and not prepared more, more, more that I had the tools. So it, there wasn't the same fear factor and fear and stress and high cortisol will deplete your sex hormones. So that alone is enough to really support a positive pregnancy and positive experience. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you're type A, but I am. And the first experience with childbirth was just like such an eye opener for me because I'm, I like control and there's so many things out of control um, and I think your first child, it's kind of sad for them. They teach you so much about yourself and about being a mom. Um, Absolutely. And, yeah, going into the second one, it's like, okay, you, your expectations are completely different in a good way. Um, so like you're saying, you're, it's just a completely different mindset going into the second one. Um, in a really good way. Yeah. Because definitely. letting go of that. Um, and I meant to say this at the beginning, this is just a good thing to bring up is like anything that we are talking about today or any experience, I think it's really important that moms don't be hard on themselves. Like, Oh, I didn't know that that lotion I used had toxic chemicals in it before my first child or whatever. Like there's, you know, my first child, I knew none of this. She's six. She's fine. Like you will definitely get through it. It just might be a little harder, you might need to put the effort in a little later. So for us, we ended up my first child, my daughter, then when she was 18 months and two years old, she had major gut dysfunction, she had a solid distended belly, and really skinny arms and legs. Um, and just constant gut complaints and gut issues. And it was really hard. We spent two or three years trying to figure it out and trying to, you know, navigate through that, which is not an easy time to do that with a child. So that is where I really wish I had 
known about this because when I did the gut testing for myself, I'm doing this all with small child. And as we do the testing, as we looked at my neurotransmitters and her neurotransmitters and my gut panel and her gut panel, guess what happened? We have the exact same issues. Like mom passes it down. So the bacterial overgrowth that I had, she also had. Um, so it was really amazing to see. I mean, in a way, I love, I kind of love that data and that comparison. So it was kind of cool. And we we're slowly tracking her over time. So it, in a way, it's like fun that I started at two with her to kind of see where she is. But mom, you know, that that is the one thing that then with the second child, I had done that deeper gut work, I had done that deeper hormone balancing, and I had really gone into um, lifestyle and stress management and balancing my blood sugar and looking at foods and removing the foods I'm sensitive to. So I just went into that second experience, a completely different person, which hopefully, you know, the little one's only 18 months, so we will see, but hopefully that will mean we won't deal with such ex extreme, you know, gut dysfunction and all that for the second child. But um, the second birth, you know, not only was the pregnancy much easier, but the um, actual birth, I got to have a home birth here. I live on a military base, so I don't know how often that's happened in this establishment but that's awesome. um yeah and it was christmas day so um when you live on a base you have to go through a gate and show your id and the midwives came to the gate but it was christmas day so the one they came to was closed <laughs> so they had to try to figure out how to go around which is actually really complicated and <laughs> luckily they made it um they were only in the house for 10 minutes before i I had her. That but. is so crazy. So was your second birth a lot more, I mean, was it more quick as far as like the time you spent in actual active labor? Yeah, it was extremely quick in comparison. Mm -hmm. um, it was, you know, we were having Christmas dinner at 4 p.m. And, you know, she was born at 7 p.m. So, <laughs> That's so um, cool. <laughs> the whole thing went quicker. And I do want to just make a note because there's a lot of things you can read online about how to have a faster birth and or how to, you know, how to have things go smoothly. It you can't take away the fact that this was baby number two. Mm -hmm. So I maybe could have changed nothing about my holistic lifestyle and it could have just gotten that much faster and smoother. I don't know. Absolutely. Um, there is always a difference of yeah course. and that's like the date thing um i know laura was doing like the six dates a day um towards the end of pregnancy i did that for my second one because i was like you know what i don't know if this is true but i'm gonna do everything i can to try and make this go much smoother and i almost had identical to what you're saying like i was in active labor i told my midwife eh, it's probably gonna be like 12 hours or so like don't worry about it because i'm just going off my previous experience right and then she's like eh, you sound a little grunty. And so I'm just going to stop by and see. And she's like, do you want to have your baby here? Or do you want to have it at the birth center? Because we have to leave now. So she's about to come out. I was like, oh, crap. So we hightailed it to the birth center. But it was literally like an hour between the time she checked me and then I, I pushed her out. So it's crazy. And again, like you're saying, who knows if it was just because it was the second baby or whatever. Um, maybe it was the dates. I don't know. Uh, but right. it definitely was different. Yes. <laughs> Yes. No. And I just think that's, 
it's just important because it is hard for like for first time moms, for example, they they read the date thing and they did the date thing and it didn't work. So, or, or, or for example, and same thing, I didn't do the date thing the first time because I was not in that space and I tried it the second time, but it's also, you know, second baby and a lot of things have changed. So I, I agree. I just feel like you try and do everything that you think might help or work kind of throw the kitchen sink at it and it's you're never going to be able to tweeze those factors out but that's okay <laughs> true um so i overall you know amazing for just amazing to have the second my second child at home um to be with my family on christmas my older daughter's there she literally came up from watching a movie and was like oh my sister's here. <laughs> Actually, we couldn't get her to come up because she doesn't get to watch all that much TV. And this is a special thing she's doing with grandma. And we said, you know, we can come up and see the baby. She's like, yeah, after my movie. <laughs> <That's hilarious. laughs> that sounds like something my son would say. <laughs> yeah. So definitely huge difference in um, the, the birth, the birth, but then really the after, after the birth and that recovery period, my mindset was so different. And I think if anything moms can take away is this, that there is no race and there is no hurry and literally just taking as much possible time as you can to do nothing, mm -hmm. um, which is so opposite of our world and our life and our type A and our get it done and our get back to that project. But I knew this was our second and last baby. And I knew that I, when I, when my first child was seven days old, I was, um, I was back at work from my computer, but I had had a kind of crazy situation where I'd lost the job two months before. So then by the time I actually had the baby, I was, had run out of my two months of like savings. <laughs> so then they said, Hey, we have a contractor project and I kind of had to take it just, wow. although Again, I didn't really have to take it knowing what I know now, but mm -hmm. um, same thing. I did the same thing with the first child jumping back into um, training for a half marathon. I have a picture of me doing a half marathon when she was like five months old. It's just very unnecessary. Oh <laughs> and I do 100% believe that that led to that whole adrenal crash, um, hormone crash, you know, when she was a year because I didn't ever take a break. And I had the mentality that. I am a strong mom. I am a strong person. I will not be that person who has kids and then sits on the couch and never does anything again. Like I, I can show you, I have a kid and I'm strong and I have a corporate job and I'm an engineer. So there was a lot of that, which, um, is so unnecessary yeah. and didn't prove anything to anyone except that I had a major malfunction of the body. <laughs> It's so sad, and we've talked a little bit about it um, in previous episodes of the podcast, but just, like, society's expectations about, like, quote-unquote, getting your body back, like, you know, you should be, you know, fitting back into your pre-pregnancy genes in, like, a week, and, you know, you should be able to, to do it all, you know, and I just feel like that in and of itself leads to so much outside pressure for moms, like, just like you're saying, and part of it's, you know, your own pressure um, but it's because you feel like you need to kind of keep up with everybody else who's doing it that way. Um, I know that was for sure for me, the way I felt after my first one. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, 
we could wax on and off about that for I'm sure <laughs> another hour, but um, totally, totally get where you're coming from with that one. For sure. Yeah. Did you want to dig into that um, listener question? Cause yeah. I feel like that is a really good segue yeah. from my experience. Exactly. Yeah. And cause I know I wanted to kind of hash out a few things specifically that you were doing to um, support yourself, but that is part of the listener questions. So I have a few, we have some, gosh, some awesome questions from listeners. Um, one of them, so there's two that kind of fit together, but one, one and two. So what can you do before pregnancy to begin balancing hormones and gut health? And with that, um, you know, we've had people, wait, yeah. The hypothalamic amenorrhea. Did you want to talk about that with one and two? Yeah, so okay. there were two questions that seemed totally unrelated, but basically the process that I would go through for someone with amenorrhea or someone just wanting to be healthy before having a baby is the exact same thing, okay. which is kind of cool. Perfect, yeah. So that second question, she was asking about hypothalamic amenorrhea, um, you know, nine years without a period, which seems crazy to me. Um, probably a, a huge signal that something's dysfunctional there. Um, but they, they both really just want to know kind of how to get back on track, prepare their bodies and themselves for, you know, conceiving in the future, whether that's, you know, a couple of months or a couple of years. But what, what are your thoughts on, on that? Yeah. And, th and then I just want to add that in that second question, she did mention um, that support for someone, you know, nine years, no period, who is an athlete in the fitness industry, which is going to be a lot of people listening to something mm -hmm. like this is my guess. So I think that's an important just addition, of course. So what I think is really interesting about functional medicine in general or functional nutrition is that no matter what someone comes to me with, you're still looking at the same basic pillars of health and I could have acne and you could have joint pain or whatever your symptoms are. I could have major gut actual like digestive complaints and you could have none. And we could have the same underlying cause. Um, so in a way, the symptom, it's, go, it's great to gra gather somebody's history and it's really important. But uh, we never really know what the combination is for that specific person because I can say I remember when I was first learning about this I said well I had adrenal fatigue it used to be called we like to say you know HPA axis dysfunction but and I got rid of that doing X X and X so I know how to help anyone with adrenal dysfunction but the truth is that there could be thousands of different reasons that your hormones and your brain, you know, hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenal axis, your brain is not communicating correctly anymore um, for your adrenals to output uh, the hormones needed. So really what we're going to look at is just the basic pillars of health for anyone, for everyone, whether they just want to be healthy or whether they have a very specific complaint. But when it comes to this topic, we're all about testing and not guessing, you'll we'll hear us say this over and over, because for the majority of people, maybe 80% of people, they really do just need basic lifestyle modifications, um, nutrition modifications, and, and things along that nature. But there are going to be a handful of cases where when we test, 
instead of just showing, okay, you're kind of depleted all over, we might see something very extreme. Like we might find in a test like that, they have PCOS or poly, you know, polycystic ovarian syndrome or something that's really affecting their hormones to be sky high or extremely low, um, which we know we would want to look into in a different way. So that's why we really love the testing. Whereas most people, the lifestyle factors alone could bring that them back to where they want to be. But if we test even if there is nothing extreme, you then at least have a baseline of where you are. And I think being able to test periodically over different phases in your life, I know after I had a baby, that's when I retested everything. And to be able to track where that goes and to be able to feel like you're empowered to say, okay, things are a little out of whack, but I know how to bring them back in and do that before it gets so crazy that, um, you know, you're doing, you have to make very, take very drastic measures because we're looking at things on a subclinical level, meaning before there are symptoms even. And that's why the women coming to us just wanting a healthy pregnancy. That's awesome. Cause we mm -hmm. can still see, Hey, look, your cortisol is very, very high morning and night. Like let's, let's look into why that is. And they really might not have had any indication that that was happening. Right. So when it comes to adrenal dysfunction or HPA axis, which is what is going to be the root of what she's asking about, hypothalamic amenorrhea, or just having a healthy pregnancy. There's four categories which are super important to consider. First category being circadian rhythm, meaning are you sleeping? <laughs> um, and not only are you sleeping, but are you getting light during the time of day when you're supposed to be getting light? So we're looking at everything kind of through a ancestral and what our ancestors would have been doing. They would not have had blue lights coming out of their iPads and phones <laughs> at night. You know, when it gets dark, they go to bed. And this alone um, can be a driving factor, factor for having imbalanced hormones. So um, we like people to, you know, we like to do, you know, action items for anyone listening is, um, to actually get light during the day, at least 30, 30 minutes where you're outside during the day, ideally for women who have um, a really hard time sleeping, doing that right in the morning if they can. And then getting away from all the the lights at night and the blue lights and the screens. And I know people do like to wear like the blue light lock, lock, uh, blocking glasses and things that, but it, ideally I would have someone just step away from the screens altogether for two to three hours before bed, because you still have like the excitement of, you know, the Facebook post or the excitement of the movie or whatever you're watching. But um, circadian rhythm, they say if you just take three days and go camping that you can reset your circadian rhythm just from being out in nature and like not having the, the, the changes in light from your in, indoors. Wow. That's amazing. That's, yeah, so that's a pretty cool, that's something you can do pretty cheaply yeah. <laughs> to and greatly impact your health. Because a lot of people have having, with hormone imbalances, there's going to be some major sleep issues. And when we're not sleeping, we're not restoring um, our gut function, we're not restoring our nutrient stores, we're not rebuilding and repairing. And then it's just going to kind of be a downward spiral, spiral to more more hormone issues and right. yeah and I know that's so funny like my, myself with my first son and my first kiddo he didn't sleep at all um which yes. is just part of it um but I found myself you know waking up so frequently it was hard for me to go back to bed and then I would mm -hmm. I would get on my phone at like midnight or one o'clock just because I was like okay well I'm not sleeping I might as well just like scroll Facebook or whatever and it's just like 
That's probably the worst thing I possibly could have done, right? I mean, just introducing more of that dysfunctional right. light into my life. Just crazy. And I'm sure there's many mamas out there that have similar stories. Like, you know, I can't sleep, so I just get on my phone or whatever. So you're saying yes, that's the biggest thing, one of the biggest things. Stop that is okay. Stay away from the phone. (laughs) I know it's hard because I, I, you know, get out. Um, you can turn on like, um, there are lights that are better. You can use, we have salt lamps, you know, they're more red, but you get out a good old fashioned book or something just because temporarily it's going to be nice and it's going to be like, okay, I can't sleep. I'm frustrated. I might as well look at my phone, but then in the long term, you're going to just keep messing up your circadian rhythm even more. But with that said, there is, I mean, new mama's they're in a different category because you cannot control how many times you're getting up at night. And I know that there just evolutionarily has to be some factor playing into that because we do survive it. Um, and I, uh, I think in general, new moms usually can handle that lack of sleep a little bit better. I, so when you're in that phase where you can't control it, don't let that stress you out that, Oh, I should be, you know, cause I've heard some, um, I think there's some posts that like not getting enough sleep is like just a, as horrible for your blood sugar as like eating a donut or something. Right. And mm-hmm. I know that really stresses out the moms cause they're like, I can't control that. I don't get enough sleep. Mm-hmm. And so then you're stressed and not sleeping. And so there's only so much you can control when they're little. And I think at that point, just go with it. But if this is, you don't have children yet, or you're not in that new phase, then, or they're really old and they should be sleeping and they're not, <laughs> Um, you know, I also learned this one the hard way, but get some help, mm-hmm. figure that out, make that a priority and deal with the week of horribleness you might need to deal with or whatever it is. But I think it's important to make sleep mm-hmm. a priority. Absolutely. So um, the next few categories that we have to consider when you're just trying to build up, you know, an amazingly healthy body or um for example, for the, in the fitness industry, uh, one of the top things we see is that people will join, you know, they'll start being paleo or some kind of whole foods diet and they go into the accidental low carb category. And this, so the category would be, um, glycemic dysregulation. So having blood sugar issues is one of the top four reasons for, um, adrenal dysfunction and therefore hormone dysfunction. So, if you haven't had your period in nine years, one of my biggest questions would be, are you eating enough complex carbohydrates? And sometimes we will see women come in to our groups because they have been, you know, marathon runners or CrossFitters are very strong athletes and they also have found the paleo diet and that worked really, really well for a period of time. And then six months down the line, it's not quite, something's not quite working, but they haven't changed anything. And that's hard for people because they're like, well, it can't be my exercise and it can't be my diet because that has not changed. But there's this period of time where if there's major gut dysfunction, minimize, you know, having lower carb might really help for a period of time because it's uh, much less stressful on, di- on digestion. But us, but women, we need um, a lot of carbohydrates. Athletes specifically, um, you know, we're talking like 30% of 30% or greater of your diet, like 150 grams of carbs for women every day. And we're not counting like leafy greens and and just veggies. We're talking, we're talking like actual, you know, carbohydrate. So, you know, the, the people who are having one 
whole sweet potato a day because the rest of their food is, you know, paleo meat, veggies, et cetera, that's not going to be enough. If you actually count, you'll realize really quickly that you're probably not getting enough. So that would be my first question for someone who doesn't have right. their period is, are they in this state of basically their bodies thinks it's a time of, it's a time of starvation. I mean, there's not enough calories around. They're not going to, your body's not going to allow you to um, get pregnant or have a baby when, if they think there's not enough resources to sustain that. So, and do you think the quality of the carbohydrates that you're ingesting makes a difference? And I'm asking that only because I know a lot of people, um, in the CrossFit world, um, in the fitness world, you know, very intrigued by like macro counting, if it fits your macros. Um, and so in that same token, they're just like, I can eat whatever I want as long as it fits into my macros. If it's, if it's gluten, it's no big deal. It's, if it's donuts, because that's what I need to get my quote unquote carb intake. Um, it's, yes. it's fine as long as I'm sitting within those certain, you know, macronutrient um, count. So do you have any thoughts like quality of the food? Yes. Okay. Thank you for bringing that up yeah. because I might, I was making assumptions. A hundred percent about quality. Um, so, and you know, one of the other categories here is going to be um, inflammation is not another one of the top reasons that our hormones will be imbalanced or that we're not getting um, a period. So there are some studies showing that gluten sensitivity and not um, gluten intolerance and uh, undiagnosed is linked with um, a lack of period. So that can be more through the relationship of um um, inflammation. So when we're dealing with foods that we are sensitive to, foods that we can't digest, foods that are um, anything inflammatory, so we're going to have uh, refined sugars, uh, refined flours, etc., those will act completely differently in the body than a, like a complex carb source. So even if you're hitting your percentage of carbs that you need, um, it might then be hitting you up in the inflammatory um, department. Yeah. So basically, we'll see women come in to our groups that have been strict paleo, maybe. So we're not not the category you're talking about, not eating like donuts or mm -hmm. junky f stuff for their, you know, to fuel their workouts, but strict paleo. And they will do way better by adding in um, – gluten-free grains, so rice or quinoa or millet or buckwheat or, or even, you know, beans. So things that aren't in paleo, but like sprouted or soaked beans or um, all. And then, you know, everybody, uh, like the great does great with like the squashes and the tubers and the sweet potatoes. But mm -hmm. we will see that this immediately puts their body in there's no longer in the state of stress where they're making constant cortisol, cortisol, cortisol at the expense of um, hormones like estrogen. So if, uh, you know, one of the, in younger women, so, you know, premenopausal women, women, one of the most common signs of like low, of low estrogen is that they stop, um, stop menstruating. So this could be the case with somebody who's working out very hard. So, we have the blood sugar dysregulation from possible 
lack of eating enough complex carbs and then often over exercising. And this is a category that's really hard and it, and it goes into the inflammatory category. And I know I fought this category pretty hard because I identified as being a runner and that was my outlet where I met up with other people and that was how I was going to stay in shape. And when I was told, you know, this really is not when I saw, you know, all my numbers for cortisol just completely tanked. And I was told, you know, this really isn't very supportive at this point in your life with a small child and a job and studying to become um, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and everything going on. You have to look at the overall picture. It took me about six months to actually look, listen to that advice. And when I finally did, then six months later, I was able to restore that hormone balance. But that was a big factor for me, just, um, Overexercising, and mm -hmm. I have I uh, a couple you know really good friends who um, they know exactly they know if they overexercise and undereat they totally will they will lose their period and um, they have to just completely shift that um, and you don't have to give up being uh, in the fitness industry at all you just really want to be recovering from exercise within within thirty minutes of doing it um, feeling better you know, the same, if not better after working out and, and just looking at the bigger picture. So not having, um, a period and having low estrogen is, uh, a risk factor for having bone issues, osteoporosis, um, osteoporosis and, you know, bone density issues. So it's not really something. And of course it tells your body's in such a state of, fight or flight or such a state of stress that it's not a lot, you know, it's not having this normal reproductive function and flow. So it's definitely something that needs looking into and correcting. And of course, for that situation, I'd highly suggest just looking into starting with a test so that you can see if there's anything extreme. And then if not, then going with, you know, the categories we're talking about. So we've got the circadian rhythm, the glycemic dysregulation, which and not eating enough. We have the inflammatory signals. So that could be eating a food you're sensitive to, having celiac disease or something you don't know it. Um, that could be gut dysfunction. Uh, we need proper elimination to get rid of excess hormones. So if you're not eliminating daily, at least daily, once daily, um, you know, if you don't have strong gut flora, if we have parasites and pathogens and fungus and uh, yeast and just all the things floating around, then that inflammation will keep, you know, we, you'll be in a constant state of high cortisol and we will not have the hormones we need to make a baby and hold a healthy pregnancy. Right, right. Okay. And I guess environmental toxins is going to go into that list as well with inflammatory inflammatory um, signals. So environmental toxins, you're talking about topic on Yeah, I know. We're yeah. like, we could probably talk about this forever. We're coming up on like an hour yeah. and I'm like yeah. so intrigued. Um, but when you say environmental toxins, you're talking about like the products that you use, the things you're putting yeah. on your skin, that's not food related. Yes. Right. And you guys, well, you and even in food too, yeah. like if you're getting, you know, factory farm chicken and Right, like so, right. food too. But yeah, we're talking about you know things you spray in your house, things you spray on your body, um, right. things you use for cleaning, uh, that that kind of thing. That's awesome, and I think you. I mean, I feel like you pretty much nailed all of that with those two questions. Um, and then, so I know we have a, a few more questions if you have time. Yeah, um, and yeah. we'll kind of do like maybe more like 
rapid fire with these. I'll be um, quicker. No, I know. You're fine. I can be very long winded. <laughs> I mean, we'll just have to bring you on again at another point so we can talk some more about all this stuff. But um, another listener asked um, just best foods to bring slash prepare for delivery and postpartum healing. Um, so like, you know, I know, I know a lot of moms like to do like freezer meals. Like what can they ask people to bring? Um, Cause you know, I, meal trains and support that way. Postpartum is huge. Like what, what are some things you would suggest in that? that realm yes um basically any food and anything someone else will make for you i think that's so important is to take help from other people have a meal service have a plan have i know there's websites you can have people sign up for days etc but what you actually want them to bring um you know the superfoods that are going to really help with the healing so things like bone broth i stocked my freezer with tons of it and and just bought the store-bought stuff too like no pressure on yourself to make it but having um bone broth and then organ meats if you eat them if you can't stomach them i really have a hard time i got um desiccated liver um supplement like the capsules Mm -hmm. um that can be really supportive i use the like you said in the beginning the adrenal cocktail um i use that for the first month after pregnancy and that helped a ton so pink salt is in there and that's something that whether postpartum or not just for support of healthy hormones and healthy adrenal function basically pink salting my food and or my water as much as possible you will notice that your water tastes better when adding it if you are really um, lacking those minerals minerals highly needed for adrenal function so if you add a little pink salt to your water and the water actually feels like it it quenches your thirst more and tastes better then you know you need it and you need a lot of it. So not being afraid of that for anybody, but especially that postpartum. I had um, my, I think being starving in the middle of the night, if you're you're up or you're breastfeeding or even if you're not, but you're up and having things, I froze about four dozen um, muffins. And when, during my first, after my first child, my grandmother has this morning glory muffin recipe that we use. And of course, it was just regular old recipes. So the second time around, I had Haley at Primal Palette. I said, can you please make this a gluten-free version? <laughs> and um, she did. So I, we made a ton of those. And after after I went through those and, you know, after a couple months, I definitely, would, when I ate those, I was like, okay, this is way too much. Like it just didn't need it anymore. But in those first few months that I would put ghee or coconut oil all over that thing, stick it, pull it out of the freezer, stick it in the toaster and just eat those in the middle of the night. And it was just an amazing, um, you know, source of food to have ready to go. And on that note, I'd say just good fats, not being afraid of good fats. Like I said, avocado in the beginning and putting that on everything and ghee and then, and then water. Of course we, we never realize how much we actually need. And, and just, one quick note, but when we're breastfeeding, we actually need more calories than when we were pregnant. Maybe at the very end, it's about the same, but 300 to 500 extra calories. Mm-hmm. So, of course, we want these to be good nutrient-dense calories, but um, don't be afraid at this point. Like, don't be thinking, oh, I still have 20 pounds to lose. I need to limit. Like, that that will all come off if you feed yourself lots. If you starve yourself, that won't come off. Absolutely. Your body will, won't let you lose it. I'm so glad that you actually talked about that because, you know, I actually had a friend who recently had a baby and she put something on Facebook and it was like 
I think the baby is maybe like three or four weeks old. And she was like, oh my gosh, like I need to start like back on my diet. I need to start restricting my calories. But she also has trouble breastfeeding. And so for me, at least just speaking from my own personal experience, whenever I, so I've nursed both of my kids and I'm still nursing the second one, but whenever I would try to restrict or, um, I don't know, just try and lose weight or whatever, it completely did the opposite. My supply would tank. Um, baby would get frustrated. I would get frustrated. The scale's not moving. And again, just throw out your scale to begin with. Um, but you know, to me, I feel like it is so important for moms to realize the hunger is real. You need to feed yourself (laughs) with nourishing foods. Um, and it's all, if you listen to your body and you eat intuitively, it's more than likely going to happen. Um, as far as quote unquote, you know, losing the weight eventually. Um, but it's, it's all part of just, evolution I guess evolutionary needs it's like you need that for me at least I don't get back to my pre quote-unquote pre-pregnancy weight until I'm done nursing because I need that extra fat or whatever body fat on me to keep my supply and I'm okay with it it's like I've realized that and I just move on it's like I will have plenty of time in the next 30 to 40 years of my life to, to get back there so I'm so glad that you mentioned that And I got back there with both children, and one of them I tried extremely hard, stressed myself out, over-exercised, and the other one, I not that I did nothing, but I did very moderate, like, Mm -hmm. things that were supportive, and I got back to the weight at the exact same time. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it wasn't what I was doing. It was, you can't force it, Um, and I think just knowing that. And, and it is easy in your head. And I even went there in my head, too. I said, okay, I know my body went back after baby one, but I've never had a second baby. Like, you know, maybe second baby will just forever destroy you and you can go there. But, you know, our our bodies are amazing <laughs> organisms that really do want to be at um, a certain place. It might not be the place you think it should be, but it will get yeah. it to its healthy place. <laughs> yeah, totally. I absolutely agree. Okay. Quick few questions, and we'll do like short answer on these, but I just think they're super, some takeaways for for mamas to have um, at the end here. But if you can make three changes right now just to make the biggest impact on supporting your hormonal and gut health to in preparation for pregnancy, what would, what would they be? I would say we didn't even talk about this, but avoiding caffeine or cutting down on caffeine and doing that in a very slow process, not destroying yourself by pulling it out quickly but on um zestyginger.com alex has some recipes she uses and how she slowly cuts down to have like black tea with half of this and that but um that's caffeine is a huge factor in the adrenal um dysfunction and usually the more adrenally um depleted we are the harder it is for us to recover so i'd say Caffeine, um, pink salt, I mentioned that, but just literally pink salting your food as much as possible to where it still tastes good because that shows you still need it. And then um, probably just healthy fats, I'd say. So healthy fats and fat carb protein at each meal. So you're in a constant, constantly managing your blood sugar and, and checking into blood sugar with a glucometer if you feel that you... If you're hangry or if you know like you can't go two hours without food, maybe doing some more testing with that and, and, and narrowing that down. Awesome. And so um, do you 
I know I'm going to ask this question. It was about coconut oil and the AHA, but I'm sure we could go on a ranch with that, a rant with that topic. <laughs> but you can eat coconut oil, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Just wanted to, I wanted them to hear it from an, an expert. So there's um, about, I don't know, 10 articles you could post at the bottom of this if you need to. <laughs> I will. And I'll link up everything that we've talked about today. If, if it requires a link or if I feel like people need more information, I'll totally put that in the show notes. So, um, uh, so biggest takeaway you learned from your two experiences, if you could just summarize it. Yeah, I would say just the whole stress factor, taking it easy slash trying to force things. There just is no forcing the body. And that if you can actually sit back and enjoy um, your small child or enjoy the pregnancy or enjoy the process, then the whole you'll just be in such a better place and therefore health will restore when it needs to. It's a it's an easier said than done thing, but I think we need to hear it over and over and over again. <laughs> right. And I guess that kind of goes to my next question was, you know, if you could look back on the you that was pregnant that first go around, what would you say to her? I mean, is it kind of along those lines or? Yeah, it's exactly along those yeah. lines that um, every that everything you do like that, this, that the stress matters and that the lifestyle matters mm-hmm. and that. Um, even though it doesn't seem like you're directly affecting this person inside of you that, um, they're picking up on your cues before they're even born. So, um, you can go a long way with just putting into practice some daily stress management or some, uh, just taking it easy on yourself and reaching, reaching out to a, a community. You, you can't really, it's just this whole, we're raising children alone and we surely shouldn't be. So, um, I'd say. Okay. And then last one, um, biggest, well, we kind of, again, this whole topic has kind of touched on some of these questions, but, um, I guess the biggest advice in general to new moms is exactly what you said before, what you would say to your first pregnant self, but to moms welcoming, like maybe subsequent kiddos, kiddo, kiddo number two or number three, um, would it be the same or would it be different? And this doesn't have to be scientific. It could totally be based on your personal experience. What would you say to the, to them? Cause it's a compl- say, completely different ballgame. Yeah. Second go around. Yeah. For number two, I, mm-hmm. um, not being afraid to ask for help is the biggest was the biggest change for me is that um, I literally was like, you know what, I'm going to repay you all in a year. But right now I'm just going to ask a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and I do even remember at, um, when my girls were a little bit older and I had a friend from my daughter's school who needed, she needed to be picked up and brought to something somebody was sick and I was like oh pick me like please can I please help somebody <laughs> pay it forward. Like, I've literally been waiting yeah I've been waiting for the time where I can pay back and she's like well I never helped you I'm like yes but so many people did mm-hmm. um and it was I had the mindset of I am going to just take everything I need I am not going to be afraid to call my family two hours away and ask them to drive up for something because I need it and I will pay y'all back later <laughs> I love that. That's so true. I feel like that's, for me, what made the biggest difference as well, just asking for support and welcoming it and not feeling you have to, like you have to do everything alone, which is huge. Yeah. So that's, that's our, that's everything. I can't believe we've been talking for over an hour now. It's amazing. Um, I'm sure, gosh, we'll have to have you back on at a different time just to dive into some more specifics because it's such good information. Um, and then I'm going to, 
we're going to close out a little bit, but if you'll stay on the line after we're done, yeah. that would be great. But uh, Megan, tell us where we can find you um, on social yeah. media or online, or if people are interested in becoming um, or being part of your healthy hormones group, um, tell us where we can find you. Absolutely. So you can find us at ZestyGinger.com. That's where you'll find our seasonal detoxes and our healthy hormones. And we even have a monthly membership program, ZestyU, for people who want to dig into gut health and deeper testing. So that is the main location. But you can always um, email us, support at ZestyGinger.com. And then Instagram is our main jam. It's where we like, I love Insta stories. It's kind of um, where I connect and tell random stuff the most. So mine, my um, handle is still Ginger Nutrition, which was my business before Alex Dig Prime. She's Dig Primal before we combine, but um, you can even find that um, from our website too. But so Ginger Nutrition, and it's N E W, Ginger like my red hair, which you can't see. But <laughs> <laughs> perfect, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well, so okay. it'll make it easier for everyone to find. Um, awesome. So as always. If you guys enjoyed what you um, have been hearing, make sure you go to iTunes, download, subscribe, rate us. Uh, we will still be launching a giveaway here in the next couple episodes with Paleo Valley with one of their products. Um, and I'm not going to announce it until Laura's back on, but that's that's something to keep in mind. And um, as always, you can find us at, on social media at jess.holdthespace on Instagram and laura.radicalroots uh, on Instagram. And then uh, the modern mom, you can email us at modernmamaspodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions. But thank you so much, Megan. It was amazing. And thank I can't you for wait having to me. Yeah, I can't wait to launch the episode. I'm sure we're going to have so much positive feedback about it. But thank you so much. Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye.